0: Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited for our conversation today. We have Andrew McDaniel. He's a VP of Sales for Tenio. Um, Andrew, appreciate you jumping on with us. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Man, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're up to at Tenio, and um, and kind of just
1: give us like a high level overview of what you've, what you've been up to of late. Sure thing, absolutely. Uh, Tenio, we are a provider to enterprise companies of network and security solutions, so we partner with those cutting-edge disruptive technologies, again, specifically in network and security to help them with the pressing solutions that are really impacting their operations on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I think it's probably needed more and more in the marketplace as um, as things continue to grow the way they are. Absolutely.
1: Um, you know, Threat actors are getting more and more creative every single day, so they need yeah. solutions that can meet up with that. Um, and all of us are working remote from home. Therefore, that user experience that people are having is a lot more complex and uh data driven uh than when we were all in the same office and we could have a server there and everything worked great so we've got a a lot of solutions to offer yeah
0: yeah i totally get that man i'd love to hear like how you lend into sales like for me right i've always been that career salesperson i think i came out of the womb um selling a product right um but i'd love to hear like how you jumped into
1: it i i would say it was a a two-part process and it was all when i was a teenager. Um, I needed to raise money for a high school trip, so we did certain fundraisers, and yeah. I, I caught a knack. In fact, it was enough to the point that not only did I pay for myself all those four years, but by the time I got to my fourth year, um, my carryover money plus what I had sold left me over with three additional full-paid trips for other people, so we had to give those away to people. So I realized I could develop those relationships and do something and repeat it. Yeah. Um, and then the second part is when I was 15, I joined an organization that that particular chapter had a DJ company, and I started learning how to be a DJ, and that carried me over into a the private enterprise and, and starting to work for companies on that. So those were my first two things, and that led me, despite having a political science degree, where you're going <laughs> to run for president, uh, you know, yeah. ended up ended up doing the uh, the other part, which was. Serving and leading people in a different way. I love that.
0: And, you know, you talk obviously about the leadership piece. Like, <clears throat> um, were there any things that happened throughout your career that has, like, really shaped the leader that you've now become?
1: I would say it's a mix of opportunities and mistakes. Um, and mm. mistakes that, that I made as a young leader. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay to come into a place and recognize that there are one, two, three, four, five, 50 things that need to be fixed. Yep. Um, but as a leader you have to be able to, you, you can come in and you can just say, look, this is the change we're going to make deal with it or you have to recognize that there are there's time you need to do to spend and actually get to know the people in there, understand the reason why X, y, and Z are actually being done in that company. Yeah. to get the perspective, to develop the trust, and then to start prioritizing what are the most important things that you need to do. And go, go through those, build additional trust because of the success that those have, and then you continue on. My biggest mistake in one of my first leadership roles was trying to change 15 things right at once. On top of that, I was one of the sales reps before that. So I may have known what was... Going on and where the prisoners were running the the jail, yeah. But they did. They weren't quite ready for me just to come in and go. Guess what, guys? Party's over. Yeah. New sheriff in town. So, uh, yeah. I would say those are the those are the things that when you make a mistake, there's an immense amount of things you're going to learn from it. And I've never gone more than a year without going back and going, man, I learned so much. I can't believe I did that a year ago, and that yeah. still has been that way after 12 years leading at leading teams. The other one's just opportunity. I've landed at places where they say, oh my gosh, we're getting ready to grow. We just got funding. We need to grow this team from three teams of 12 to eight teams of 12. And you ride those waves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, right? Um, I think we can learn a lot more from our mistakes than we can maybe from our victories. Probably because our mistakes are ones that we have to we have to wear on our sleeve, right? Like we... <laughs> the The victories right they there people praise us and we move on quickly from those but the when we when we mess up right pe- people tend to dwell on those a little bit longer, and so do, that may be do. why we can uh we can get a little bit more of a learning
1: experience from them. They might not get highlighted on our LinkedIn profiles, but they uh they there are lessons just the same
0: you know it's funny, I spoke to a sales leader recently, and he said i've never interviewed a sales rep that said that um they weren't hundred and fifty percent of goal for the year. And I thought that was really funny. So you're right, right? Like we don't highlight the mistakes, um, but on the flip side of that, right? Like uh, may- maybe we should, right? Because I think that's a really great opportunity for us to share, like, hey, this is how I was able to adapt, and this is how I was able to learn things a little
1: bit differently. People that are entering into sales, and I think everybody setting 150 percent to goal, are going to be entering a world of hurt, um, because especially over the past two years, sales is hard. You've got to come as clear as possible with your value. You have to be persistent. You have to be personal. If you don't do those things, you're not going to get the pipeline to even have a chance to be at 100, much less 150%. So sharing failures is important. You you learn together and you win together by the good and the bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean especially now in a down market like are you finding um, different tactics or techniques that are working better than others um, are you seeing like some sort of secret sauce that, that some, some um, companies
1: are maybe forgetting I think people are, are still working really hard from the standpoint of prospecting but the question is, is when do they give up and are they just recycling the same old techniques mm. so we've Built, we built our SDR team around the idea of understanding: if you're selling a product, what is the product you're selling? What is the benefit and differentiator to that? And why does a client care? If you don't right. have those things, you don't have the confidence to go into a pitch. Um, I get dozens of calls and emails on a daily basis that are the generic. So, if you're if you're sending that, it's white noise. It gets deleted right away. The differentiator is the person that can add something relevant to that company. The person's role, something that catches the eye. What is the, yeah. the BFC, the big claim? Hmm. Yeah, that totally
0: makes sense. You know, it, providing value early on is so so crucial. And you know, I think you're you're bringing that up, right? It's like, hey, how do we connect with our persona in a way that hey, it's meaningful and they and they see the value and. Being somewhat new to the company, still like, how did you go through that evaluation phase to really understand like what was important to the ICP um, or the persona that you guys were selling to at Tenio?
1: Well, you have to you have to lean on the the experience that you already have in the company, and there's there's yeah. a track record. I and mean, Tenio's been around for over 20 years doing what they do. So the experience in the C level, as well as the product team, as well as the sales team, can absolutely provide. The case studies, whether it's marketing-driven or just allegorical, that will let us see who is it that this resonates with, how did it do, and those are the stories. You don't have to actually be the person that collected that story to be able to tell it. I can give somebody five or six bullet points. We had a company, and it was having this problem specifically with email security, where they actually thought they were fine, but all of a sudden they got hit with a malware so they came to us, we plugged this in, we, we evaluated, we saw that their legacy system was allowing 7,000 phishing emails in in just that time. Wow. So we switched it up, we set up the protection. Did I do that? No. Did one of my yeah. reps do that? Yes. But the, the point is the same. Can you create a story that is compelling, that gives somebody the imagery and the understanding that that puts them in the shoes to say, oh, I wonder if that's the same thing with us. Tell me more. Right.
0: And you know how do you get your SDRs at that point or your sales reps to make sure that they focus on because right? I so often um the not like I think we can get caught up in our features and benefits and how we think we're gonna sell our product rather than how we're gonna focus on the the, the consumer and right in the prospect um and I didn't mentioned that before right but well you know, how are you teaching your sales rep and your SDrs to make sure they're focused truly on the value that they're providing to the um To their client or the prospect, so that they can better understand the value really early on in the
1: process. Yeah, absolutely. You're really you're focusing on the why, and I don't mean that from a Simon Sinek way, Um, but with with any new salesperson that I, I have coming in, I ask them why are you doing this? What is your motivation? What is your goal? It could be professional. It could be personal. It could be material. But whatever those things are, a lot of times I tell them, put that up in front of your, on your wall that you're facing. So when you're having a bad day, you have a reminder. When you're having a good day, you're getting closer to that. That's yeah. the why of that. Why are they in the company? What is the what is the differentiator? What's something special about the company that we're in right now? Um, we provide amazing technologies, but we also focus a lot on the fact that we want our goal is to open minds we want to open the minds of our clients we want to open the minds of our employees and our professional growth and develop them, of them but we also want to open minds of people in the sense that we dedicate a considerable amount of our revenue towards projects that help with education of underprivileged children a lot of mm-hmm. that specifically in, in Africa so we want to we are driven and we approach those calls with that mentality that we want to open minds we want someone to go wow that's amazing tell me more you're not going to do that just by going look at this pen it's just not compelling so why why is the product special how does it help people you focus on that you're basically putting the green light the focus light on the person you're talking to as opposed to putting the spotlight on us and our product so it's yeah. all about problems, solution.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's a really great way to look at it. Like, does the, does the approach ever change when it comes to uh, different clients across different industries? Or is the approach really the same across that and
1: really um, agnostic in that sense? Well, the message would be different based on who you're selling to from yeah. a position standpoint. But the the pain that a, a CISO in the pharmaceutical space has, is going to be somewhat similar than the pain of somebody in manufacturing. Now, intellectual property, data protection, all those things can be more heightened in a regulated industry, but for the most part, you're really focusing again on how do I provide something to somebody that's relevant that makes their ears perk. How do you make something sound a little bit different than the white noise that people are like, hey, I'd really like to book a meeting with you? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. what you'd like. Why would <laughs> I want it? Yeah, why?
0: Why should I book a meeting? Right? That's the question that we need to answer. Like, why should I book a meeting with you? And if you can answer that question for me, then it's like, all right, sure, I'm happy to give time to you, right? But like, I think you have to earn it, especially in right yeah, in today's market.
1: We work with cadences, sequences of uh, where we are automating the the process of the email and the. Social media outreaches and the calls, partly because we want to be able to provide a sales rep with something that we can measure from a larger scale, and then come back to and look at and say, if we change the subject line here and we test it out, can we get this improve an open rate or a link rate or a meeting rate improved by two, three, four percent? Because that's all we're really looking for. I mean, I'll take twenty percent. Sure. Well, realistically speaking, it's a game of inches right now. So we look at those things and we look at how can we provide somebody with an email with bullet points – sorry, a voicemail with bullet points. So if they do get to a voicemail because sometimes people don't pick up their phone, um, what are they going to say? Are they going to say, hey, can we – can I, can you call me back? I'd like to have a meeting. Yeah. No. Um, or, hey, I just sent you an email that talked about how blank, blank, blank something of value. I'd love it if you get take a chance to look at that email and let me know if that's something that resonates with you. We have to develop ourselves as authorities in our space, people that can bring value to them, people that can educate them. And if we do that, they're going to reply back. It takes many hits, which is why we do a elongated cadences, but then we can look, go back and look and see what resonated, what led to meetings, where do we need to make changes. We don't need to leave that to a rep, where a rep has to Give a generic voicemail, send that whatever email, or try to be Shakespeare, which they're not. Create <laughs> yeah. that consistency. We can create consistency in the results.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense, right? Like, <clears throat> you, you obviously bring up the cadences and um, and sequences. There, like, how often should should companies be like tracking those and, and and then making changes, right? Like, what what do you see as like a best practice for you, and how often or how often should we be updating that stuff?
1: I think if you're prospecting, it's a worthy, cons- you should be doing cadences or sequences. And that simply is because yeah. a, many reps that are left to their own devices will tend to leave the I'm checking up or I'd like to get a meeting with you types of emails and voicemails. So yeah. providing something of a little bit more co- consistency and value, I think is they also tend to give up more around that four or five, six tries. That's enough which is not creating the consistency we need that's going to get to where we know people typically respond, which is closer to 8 to 12 tries. So that's the. if you're prospecting, I think cons- tools for consistency, if you're not doing that, you're not getting any measurement of value. How long before you use it? I mean, I think it depends on how long your cadences are. I have cadences that last two weeks, and I have cadences that last a month. So it's right. really just a matter of have we had enough of a sample size to go through it and finish it that we can now go back and look at the results. Because if we're looking at tweaking it ten people in, a hundred people in, ten days in, you're are you really getting enough of a complete picture to make that assessment? Probably not.
0: Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. <clears throat> and so it's really about the output at that point. To see if we have a large enough sample size to make sure we can change the data, that totally makes sense. Um anything that you're you're seeing on your end that's like hey obviously you said it's taking eight to 12 touches or like activities in a sense to to get in front of a prospect or to get to answer back um like are you seeing that continue to go up on the amount of touches that you have to give a prospect to um to get in front of them i know like for example right like two years ago it was maybe closer to five um for me and and i and I think that really depends on the industry and how much your persona is getting hit up, right? Like, that probably pays a big part. But are you seeing those numbers just steadily increase?
1: In teams that I led in which there was a sales development component, five years ago, no, not even five years ago, three years ago, yeah. five years ago, eight years ago, I had teams where the guys could very consistently get 15 to 20 meetings scheduled of which maybe 10 to 12 of them showed every month yeah right right now i'm even seeing a challenge in getting to 15 and a quarter so the reality is, is people are harder to get to people are doing more of their evaluation on their own so one One tweak we've done is go after, we're starting to go after people based on the intent data that we see in sales intelligence tools. Sure. So if we do see that a company is specifically having a spike in ransomware evaluations, um, then we can start targeting those companies with that like language with a higher probability they'll respond. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just blindly cold calling based on you're the right company size, you're the right uh, industry, you're the right title
0: fingers
1: crossed spray and pray yeah
0: yeah no but i love that right like we have the tools out there to be able to um really target companies when they just based off intent are you seeing better outputs for companies that are you know somewhat out there for the intent and different areas rather than just going cold because i know that i've kind of done both right and maybe with some mixed results
1: it's similar to the previous comment I made, it's inches, but it, it, if the inches are moving in the right direction, you're closer to a first down. So
0: there you go. Yeah, you know you hear so often, right? They have the Netflix series of Quarterbacks, where they're following all these different quarterbacks, and you know they're you're right, right? It's it's all about the small things. It's you know they when they talk about the plays, right, it's they ran 50 plays as a as a quarterback, and maybe they messed up where they knew they messed up on three or four. Well, that's pretty close to 10%, and if they could have a 10% increase in their performance, you know, that would have put them that much closer. So it really is that games of inches and yards. Um, It is, absolutely.
1: By the way, episode two, episode two, field goal by the Vikings against the Commanders. If you look in the end zone around the second row, middle, I'm in there. So you can actually (laughs) pause me. I'm, I'm on. I'm on Netflix, so... <laughs> I love that.
0: I love that. I'm going to have to go back and take a look now, because I think I'm on episode seven or eight, Um, so I'm going to have to go fun. back to two. I mean, that
1: six-foot-three bald guy, yeah, episode two, midway through.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know, how important is um, personalization in outreach? Personalization...
1: To the prospect, yeah. To the prospect,
0: like as your SGR teams reaching out, like how important is it to be personalizing each email and each each outreach out there?
1: Well, there's a couple things there. The the, the first one is are you personalizing towards the role, towards the industry, and those things I think are really important because if you are just sending the bland things, it's 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 not going to resonate at all. The second part of the personalization is, is is it the person that's going extra deeper, extra deep, right? Are they a person that Starts off their email to me about um, a comment about me being a Red Sox fan because I have a picture of Fenway in my backdrop of my um, in the backdrop of my LinkedIn profile or back yeah. there um, or is it the person that sees oh you went to Virginia Tech so I'm going to drop some hokey stuff on it does that really work not really yeah that that's information that I might use more if I get into a conversation with somebody where we're actually talking. We might talk about that a little bit. That's good icebreaker stuff. But is that really going to get my attention in a prospecting email? Not really. Right. Um, I think people try to get really cute and creative about that. I think the real focus when you're looking at a prospecting email or a call is what's in it for me, not are you talking about me?
0: Ooh, that's a little different than than maybe a lot of your peers out there. But I I, I don't disagree with it, right? Like – um, I mean ultimately, I think I love when people do research when they when they reach out to people um mm-hmm. but I think you're right, like it's the personalized stuff really about me like that doesn't help move the rock what does what help what does it's move.
1: professional relevance, right? yeah,
0: sure, sure it's, it's absolutely
1: it's not, not the personal stuff it's it's professional so if I were to go into your background and i went I saw previous companies that you worked at, and three of those or just one of those used us for a solution that we, yeah. we did and it worked out well. Yeah, I'd bring that up. Hey, we previously worked with Company X to help them with their uh, user experience or network performance monitoring and, and they were able to get this benefit from that. Um, love to be able to help you with, like we helped you, your company before. That's personalized but professionally relevant. Yeah, It's the hokey, no pun, no pun intended when I say it's the hokey personal stuff that is like, it's, it's trite maybe.
0: You're like, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the, I, I appreciate the fluff, but like, that's not gonna help me. Um, since you saw what college I went to, that's not gonna necessarily help me reply to an email or get me on a call.
1: No, it won't. And and when we talk about personalization, also, um, I, I want to give a lot of liberty to my sales team because each one of those people has a unique background, unique interests, unique sales styles that they do. I want them to be able to personalize what they do and have as much. Autonomy as possible when they do give those voicemails or send e- or send personal emails out. I, I'm not a yeah. micromanager like that. Um, it's but when I do give them things, I want to make sure they have clarity of what's the product. Why are you pitching to them? What's the benefit to them? What do you think that is? Now you've got it. Go ahead and say it. Um, it's about bullet points, not scripts, as far as I'm concerned.
0: No, I like it.
1: Other people to make sure they're focused but have their creative liberties.
0: Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, I think, right, we get so caught up with scripts that um, you end up sounding like a robot, and ultimately, I think, if you if we teach ourselves reps to just have conversations, because that's a, the lost art of having a conversation, it's somewhat gone, if we teach people just to have a really quality conversation, you'll find pain or you won't, but ultimately, if you had a really great conversation, people can realize, hey, this was a good conversation, maybe... um There wasn't a pain point where you'd be able to sell anything, but it was a genuine conversation at that point, and I bet it's a lot different than what they're used to.
1: I would encourage anybody to have a a self-evaluation, self-reflection of what is your talking style when you're sitting up straight versus sitting back versus sitting forward. And I find that the sitting back place right here is a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more casual. Yeah. This guy up here, which humorously I've been in this position most of this call. is a little bit more. <laughs> a, 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 I don't want to say attack mode, but in your face. Yeah. The conversation back here, I think, even in your talking style, even if you're not on a video, provides that opportunity for somebody to have that more one-on-one. It's not you don't you don't feel like you're on your def- defenses. And you trust me, the prospects when we're calling them, they're they're on or the sells, defense. Salespeople, therefore,
0: yeah. defense. Sure, sure. And so, like, I think the hardest part of that conversation when you do get someone on the call is, like, getting them to drop those defenses um, to be able to have a conversation because, ultimately, if somebody's defenses are really high, um, especially early on in the conversation, it's going to be difficult to get anything out of them. So, like, what um, strategies have you employed to make sure that, you know, the defenses come down and you can have a real conversation in a really meaningful way?
1: When, and we're talking about... Just a cold call, right? Yeah, yeah, just like a cold so, call. So, within my framework of a cold call, there's like there's three three principles to it. The first one is I do lay it out what my agenda is and my time request. So I would say, Tyler, I'm calling to potentially set a meeting with you. Can I have 30 seconds to explain why? Um, I personally get offended when people steamroll. I'm yeah. setting the agenda. I'm not telling them what company I am yet but I'm asking for 30 seconds to potentially set a meeting. I'm not being presumptuous. At that point, if they say yes, which most of the time they will because we caught them live, you've got about 15 to 20 seconds to give them something of value that says what our company does, how it benefits them. Um, And then the third technique that I use during uh, a... A cold call is try to follow up anything that I say with an insightful question that could help draw something out of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in an intrusive way. I mean that more in a sense of have you yeah. had any issues recently as it relates to this? Or And that's unfortunately a yes-no question. I'd rather say what kind of experience have you had related to something like this? I consider the question to be the power of having a steering wheel yeah. when, you're, when you're driving a call. So if you do not ask a question on the back end of that, the next person takes the steering wheel. They take control. So asking those questions allows us the opportunity to get some light questions answered out of them and potentially move to a validation that goes, well, it sounds to me like you guys could potentially have some interest in something like this. Would you be open to to having a quick meeting with us? We do a little bit of a deep dive. I could bring some product experts in, whatever it is. But if if you're not... If you don't get your foot in the door, you don't do a good elevator pitch. You don't get those questions asked. It becomes the, the hang up, the I'm not interested. What's your company do? Which is again, that's about us. It's not about them. Yeah. I want yeah. the questions to be about them, not about us.
0: No, that totally makes sense. And so, <clears throat> if I'm hearing you right, like I think what a really successful salesperson or even SDR in this sense, right, needs is that they need to have their pitch put down, right relevant to the persona that they're going to be reaching out to. So if they're reaching out different personas, they need to have a different elevator pitch for the persona so it's relevant. And then they just need to have a seek to understand mentality.
1: They have to. If you don't understand what you're selling in a confident way and you can't speak to it, then yeah. you're, what's going to happen when you get on calls is you're going to sound like the, the meek at SDR. And as a result, you're going to maybe convert 0.5%. But if you know what you're going to say and you're invigorated by it, you're enthusiastic about it, that's going to at least start it. And then the second part is you have to be curious. You have to want to ask those questions. You have to keep the focus on them and how this could actually help them. Not about how I can get a meeting. Not how I can get the revenue that helps me hit quota. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the client. It's always about the prospect. Yeah, and so
0: I think that sometimes can be a really hard quality for a sales rep because, you know, if you take that type type A personality, like they're not maybe very curious, like they are more self-centered and like how do you then instill that quality in them to be like, hey, you have to be thoughtful in your questioning and really in a seek to understand mentality because if you don't, right, and you make this conversation all about you, it's not going to be a great conversation.
1: And I've developed new hire training. I've actually developed new hire training in a way that the first thing we spend about spend talking about yeah. is the company, our executives, or our product. It's understanding the prospects' universe. You need to understand what's going on in those people's world. The type, the people who are in there. Why are these things challenges? What are the impacts if they don't fix that? So in training, you start with the prospect. Yeah. How many How many companies have you worked for where the first thing you do when you go in there is, oh, it's an org chart um yeah we're going to spend two days talking about product now product the product training resonates so much more when you put the problem in front of it
0: absolutely i would 100 percent agree hey this is the problem we're solving this is our product this is how the features and benefits solve these problems rather than hey these are the everything about our product and then hey here's who we sell to a little different.
1: Then you, to, then you can train people on, what's, what are some good discovery questions, and how do you peel the onion on a discovery question where you said, "Oh, well, that's interesting, we say that, so what does that result in when you, when you do that? Or, you know, the curiosity piece is when you peel onions on questions, you get deeper, you get deeper, you get deeper. So you have to be able to do that good discovery. It helps if you work for a company that you're able to coach calls as far as having recordings. Sure. Some people use things like gong. Some people use basic recording systems. But anything that allows for managers to be able to coach, and or for um, us to be able to cultivate best practices is yeah. fantastic. Uh, I love to have I love to have meetings with my team on a weekly basis where a certain amount of that time is specifically allocated for uh, what we, I like to call the brain share where it's like, hey, guys, we're in a safe place. We're all salespeople here. Yep. We're all trying to win together. What are some things that have been happening, like a call or an opportunity or a negotiation that was working? Or where's one, something where you're like, man, I don't think I stuck that? Because, again, you got to get the team together to have those conversations. And, and there's going to be somebody in that dais that has had that experience and said, oh, this this is something that worked for me.
0: Yeah. Try it. Absolutely. You know, you especially in this remote environment i think it's keeping everybody active in a way that keeping everybody engaged um like what are you seeing on a cadence level that like makes sense for your team to be meeting with and like how do you then keep everybody engaged and really that culture of continuous improvement
1: well we'll have a weekly team meeting yeah certainly um our, our global efforts will have a monthly meeting where we'll bring the U.K. guys along into a meeting with us. There you go. Um, but the US, the U.S. team stays in the in, the, in the, the weekly cadence. I do one-on-ones with all of my reps at least once a week, not that we're not talking close to daily. Right. Um, and then for my SDRs, because they're so young, we actually spend the morning doing a quick 15-minute huddle. And in that huddle, we're really talking about, hey, what did we try to accomplish yesterday? How did it work out? Did there any KPIs to bring up on that? What are you going to go for today? Anything you're going to change? Each rep can do that in about a minute to two minutes. And then after we go through those and have just little talks about alignment there, we might have five or six minutes to do some additional training, a little huddle topic. So they need that alignment because they're new. Uh, and, And then they need that continuous training and adjustment and coaching As well for motivation Because it is hard to be an SDR Working remotely The day of working in The the world when you're working in a pit And you've got 15 or 20 Or maybe just 5 of them that are there And you can hear what the other people are doing You could celebrate when a deal went on the board Or just a meeting being booked went on the board You had a manager that was literally 3 feet from you That could go How'd that work out? What did they say after you said that? this next time they don't get that anymore because they're in a different state yeah um so having having to do that intimacy with an sdr is the only way to a make them successful but b keep them engaged long enough that they stay with us get, get promoted become successful that's the other challenge just generationally sometimes there's another job that offers more money And the perception of grass being greener is not hard, especially when you're feeling like you're alone at home and you're not getting feedback. So you have to have that feedback on a regular basis. But one other thing I have is uh, we use Microsoft Teams and and we absolutely have a a dedicated chat line where it's sales chat. Uh, if If someone has a question, if they find some content, that they think is interesting. If, if they booked a meeting or closed a deal, we're getting it on there because we want people to see, to grow and to celebrate and learn. So I think those chat lines are, I call it chat line. It sounds like we're going to like circa 1990s, <laughs> 900 numbers. Having, having a sales chat, I think is, is really invaluable towards keeping engagement. Even when we're separated by a remote universe now.
0: Yeah, uh, that totally makes sense. Um, like I transitioned the conversation a little bit. Like when do you know somebody is ready for the next step in their career? Like let's say it's an SDR and they're trying to move up into like a sales rep or maybe that sales rep is um, – so I'll give you two parts. <clears throat> the sales rep is then maybe ready to move into maybe a leadership type of role. Like what do you do in that sense to like coach them up or like are there certain qualities that you see um, that you rec- you start to recognize – that makes someone ready for the next step. Like, is there
1: something there, or? Well, I think the first mistake that people make in promoting people is they just assume because you're a good salesperson that you're going to make a good sales manager. Um, and I think that's unfortunate um, because yeah. I'm a better manager than I'm a better uh, than a, than a salesperson. Right, I'll freely admit that. Um, But I've always had a passion to want to help people, um, to develop solutions, to get get creative like that. I'm, you look for the per. So the answer to that is when you see somebody that's on your team that does well with what they do, they can provide sage advice and experience from a standpoint of the functions of the job. Yeah, that's that's a basic, just competency checkbox. But the second piece is, are they really trying to help people? Are they trying to develop people? Are they coming up with ideas. Do they take ownership of things that don't necessarily fall into their their world? Those are those are the unique things that make a successful leader. So, do they do their job well? Yes. Are they trying to build other people and build the organization to be better? Those are the leaders. Yeah, from an SDR standpoint, you're you're looking at is a person able to do the prospecting bit. And they're not getting burnt out. I talk about 95 no's on a regular basis with my SDRs because and my 80s because the expectation is 95% of the time when you're making calls and outreach, it's going to be no answer, not the right person, not interested, not you again. And that is frustrating. That will... To motivate people, if the 95 nos is what they're focused on, but if they can focus yeah. on the five percent yeses, they're going to move in a much better place. The 95 focusing focusing on the five percent conversations get people excited. It's yeah. like golf. Um, when you're going golfing, if I were focused on 95 percent of my swings, I would never go golfing again. But it's those five <laughs> percent. If I'm lucky good swings that make me go, I'm looking forward to going back. Um, There you go. So you have to have an SDR that's willing, has taken the time and seat to develop their prospecting craft and not become jaded from it, that they're still hungry. They understand this is a piece that you're going to continue doing as a sales rep that develops new business forever, and they want to do it. But on top of that, are they taking the time to, to learn more, as a salesperson, got some sales books, Um, learn about the company. When they're on demos, are they actively watching and learning and taking notes? Or are they, hey Tyler, I appreciate you getting on this call, I'm gonna hand this off to the engineer and salesperson and I'm going to my cell phone. have to you have to look for competency you have to look for hunger when it comes to an sdr so yeah. time in seat I, i've seen sdrs that were just rock stars and they got promoted in four months and i was sad about it because i would have liked to them be in seat longer but they were just brilliant the typical one i think eight to twelve months in seat, especially for people that don't have the experience because yeah they need to get those reps in otherwise when they start from scratch with a zero pipeline what's going to happen
0: Yeah, ultimately, right. I think you're spot on, right? They have to build the muscle um, and earn the spot to sales, right? Like, sales is not an easy job, and I think the hardest part about the sales, our sales role, is it's mentally tough. And so, promoting an SDR too early, right? Like all to all the SDRs out there that are getting messages like, "Hey, we've got an opportunity as a sales rep," and I know that you all want to jump into that that sales role as quickly as possible, but it can be detrimental. To, the, um, to your success by jumping into that role a little too early. You can make mistake, mistakes as an SDR, but ultimately if you're not closing business as an AE, you don't have a job.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, think of it like if an SDR is in a role and put him in too soon, he's going to fail as an AE and he's going to get let go, and he's going the next place he goes to, he's probably going to have to start over as an SDR. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I don't know if you ever read uh, the book by David Goggins, but Goggins would talk about going into uh, the number of times that he had to restart Navy SEALs camp, boot camp, and he would get sick or he would get injured and something would happen. Well, he'd have to go back to day one of C- Navy SEALs boot camp, which is, I shouldn't call it boot camp, but Navy SEALs yeah. camp. And it was like the ultimate test, and he had to go to that three times. My goal with any salesperson is to make sure that much like they are in the military, they are prepared to go to the front line. And when they go to the front line, they come back alive. <laughs> so you have to do a lot of things. You have to do a lot of things to prepare them for that. And I think that being an SDR is boot camp. You're being tested. You're being challenged. Yeah. you got time and seat there. But there are other things that you have to do as a salesperson when you bring somebody out of a, a SDR role, learning about discovery, learning about how you're when you're going through components of a demonstration, you explain, you apply, you confirm the piece of that product relevantly to that person. You're doing a pulse check at the end of that first segment to say, How talk to me about you talk to me about the environment you have and this is the challenge. If you have had something like this, how do you see that being different? Or would that you don't want to ask the yes or no? Can you see how this would help? Or you don't wanna ask the, do you have any questions? Those aren't pulse check questions. You wanna get people excited with each component of the presentation that when you come to the end, you're able to do a summarization where you're not asking and hoping for the positive result. You're actually getting a, I'm confident they're gonna be here, but I get that confirmation, that checkbox, And now I'm gonna take them on an expertly guided journey of this is how Tenio helps our clients go from evaluation to implementation and managed services and beyond. And we go through each one of those steps in a competent way to say, this is the path. Would you like to join us? Yeah. Um, each one of those pieces from discovery to the actual meeting, to the summary and the next steps are all completely trainable things. And I guarantee you the SDR needs dedicated time on each one of those things. They need to be trained on that. They need to have a, uh, practice demos with their leadership to make sure that they're doing a good job on those um and they need to get curveballs yeah you need to be able to hear that you need to hear that person that's like i don't really i'm not interested in this but my boss is making me do it i know i told you i had an hour but i've actually only got 30 minutes they need to be able to figure those things out before they go live so that again when they go to the front line they're coming back
0: yeah i know it totally makes sense last few questions for you man this this has been a lot of good information i hope hopefully a lot of people get out of this like after this um where can people connect with you if they want to connect with you after this um podcast
1: absolutely find me on linkedin uh do andrew mcdaniel at tenia
0: love it love it and then last question for you andrew when you leave this life how do you want people to remember you
1: that the people that I I spent time with actually care uh, know that I cared about them and I sought to improve their lives and they mattered to me
0: yeah I'm sure they I'm sure they know right like um, the time that I've spent with you um, I can tell that you're a super genuine person and I'm sure that they can feel that too so uh, man this is another episode of how the grace is Doing.